Hey, welcome to Art Gab. This is Ashley. This is Kendra. And we're going to talk about art. Our dogs are here. Christopher's here. Let's get this started. Let's get Gabin. <laughs> is that our tagline? Art Gab. You Let's get Gabin. Let's get Gabin. <laughs> Gabin in the cabin. How is it going? Good. What's up? What's new? How was your weekend? Weekend was good. Today I bought a uh, paddleboard, 11 foot blow up one. It's going to be rad, so that's cool. What color is it? It's, it's, I didn't really have a choice in the color that I got. It was just like, it's just like white. It's like a body glove. Remember that brand? 80s. Oh, 90s, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, Where are you going to take it? Everywhere, because it could go everywhere. Oh my god, you could totally just, it's in you could backpack. commute here from Salem. <laughs> On a paddleboard. Paddleboard paddle to Portland. That'd be awesome. They're like, look at that girl. <laughs> hey, I got a cooler on here. I'm good. You have Prancer, like in a backpack or something? Yes. Or does so, she have her own paddleboard? Um, no, she goes, well, I have a kayak and Shorty goes on it with me and she has like a little life jacket. It's pretty great, actually. She's, oh, she's small her. enough for it. Yeah. So yeah, what about you? What did you do today? I saw Oliver got a swing that's rad. Yeah, he um, got a new awesome like net swing thing, and he already smashed his face on the concrete with it. Well, so that's that a given. Pretty, yeah. You got to do that to break it in. <sighs> yeah, it wasn't that bad. I, I make it sound horrible, but it was it was not too bad. And so, but we've been having fun with that. Um, what else do we do? We lots of housework, painting, lots of stuff. Oh, I made a coffee table. Yes, it's awesome looking. I um I thought it was marble. I did a You're faux good. marble top on a wooden coffee table. I see a second career for you. Dude, totally. Just marbling right? everything. I would love to do that just all the time. Right? Do you have a coffee table I can marble for you? No, but I could get one. You should totally do that. Just for you to marble. It's really, really, really satisfying. Yeah. Um, other than that, no, just enjoying the sunshine. And um, there are some great art shows that I want to go see this week. I really want to go see the Ellen George show at PDX Contemporary. Looks really cool. Yeah. Um, she does these paintings on like shaped paper and panel. Um, Heidi Schweigler at Up for Gallery looks really cool. She does kind of mixed media sculptures that have like a really cool sense of humor to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Chris Russell and Joe Hamilton have a show at Russo Lee. And then, of course, you have to get to Ogden to see the Jeff Gunn show. Um, so. Is that the pottery stuff that you were showing me earlier? That was, that's at Eclect, or Electic Gallery on 20th and Sandy. That one looks really cool, too. I don't remember the name of the artist there, but that looks pretty cool, too. So, Mom, if you're listening, you'd probably like that one. Yeah, it's really kind of like geometric shapes on pottery yeah. kind of thing. Cool. So, um, what uh, what happened this week in history? May 11th is Salvador Dali's birthday, and May 5th is Adele. <laughs> um, okay, so I watched a really cute video of Adele today. She is like loves Beyonce, and like thanked Beyonce in her acceptance speech. Oh, just like the hugest fan. It's pretty funny. That's really cool because they could be they could be rivals, right? They could totally be like Picasso and Matisse. She's like the biggest fan. Like I want someone to love me the way Adele loves Beyonce. Yeah, they but, probably support each other, right? Yeah, it's pretty challenge it's like each other. True love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really cool. So having to do with Adele, um, what other things are happening? Oh, it's Cinco de Mayo today. Yeah, we had some delicious carne asada. Yeah, carne asada and guacamole. And fried pineapple. Mm-hmm. To celebrate um, the Me- Mexican army's victory over the f- the French in 1862. Go, Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. You know what? Like, this is really random, but us talking here reminds me of, like, sweaty balls in SNL. That always oh, yeah. reminds me of that. Oh, yeah. So. But uh, anyway, besides the point, uh, SNL is, like, having all the old cast members on. Mm. So it would have recorded last night, but like Sandler, like all the people from the 90s. So I'm like, I might have to look that up. I, I read that um, Keenan's birth, Keenan, oh my God. 
Keenan from Keenan and Kel on Nickelodeon. Yeah, his birthday is this week too, actually. I like Speaking Kenan. of SNL. He's hilarious. He's been on it for a while now. But yeah. anyway, that went off on a tangent. But It's good to, yeah, tangents. But do you remember Opera Man? I thought you were going to talk about sweaty balls. No, just Adam Taylor <laughs> had some really good ones. Aquaman? No, uh, Opera Man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, Opera Man. Yeah. <laughs> Canteen Man or Canteen Boy. <laughs> okay, we got to get back on track here. Yes. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, so, uh, so that's okay. So we did we did the weekend. We did announcements. We did this week in history. Oh, breakfast. Oh yeah. What did you have? Out jam on Hawthorne. Mm-hmm. It was good. I got an alcoholic coffee. It was really good. I love how you always order alcoholic beverages, but you then get them and you're like. I'd like this better if there wasn't alcohol in it. <laughs> I'm usually like that, but this one, the it was it was good. Was it? I like it hid yeah. the alcohol. What was, what was the alcohol in it? I don't remember. Kahlua? No, some kind of coffee liqueur. I don't know, but mm. it, it was good, and it was there was whipped cream on it. It nice. was like a it was like a dessert coffee. Anyway, pretty cool spot. That's all I have to say about that. Did you eat anything? Yeah, just like potatoes, eggs, and veggie sausage. So there's veggie options. There's a lot of veggie options in Portland, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Nice. So. We got to get out more, Christopher. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's over there. She get his head. Yep. Um, okay, so to, <laughs> we got to get on it. Okay, so today we're going to talk about Matisse. Yes, so we decided to talk about the same person again, which, I, I mean... I don't think this will be an every week thing, but it's been kind of cool yeah. to, to compare notes and then, yeah. Yeah, we have we have some ideas of, of different formats coming up, so we're going to mix it up a little bit. We're going to do some interviews soon. We're but guess s- what, guys? It's all about art. It's all art gabbing. It's gabbing. Just gabbing about art. Yep. So today we're going to talk about, <laughs> today we're going to gab about Matisse. 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 Which I have to say, I didn't really know anything about Matisse. Until you were like, let's talk about him. I'm like, okay, I better look stuff up. Well, that's funny you say that because I, I, I suggested him thinking, okay, I know about Matisse. I like his work. But when I started reading, I re- realized there's a lot that I didn't, didn't actually know. And there's a lot of like mis, like misinformation out there too. Um, so, yeah, so... I'm, I'm glad we did this. Right on. So, yeah, I think uh, you're going to kind of talk about his earlier stuff, and I'm going to end with his later stuff, and then kind of that's the format, I guess. All right. So, Henri Matisse was born on December 31st, 1869, in Le Cateau Cambrisis in northern France, to wealthy grain merchants, specifically corn merchants. His mom was an amateur painter, and she also sold paint next to the grain in their store. <laughs> I don't know why that was important for me to read. Okay, so okay, so he kind of was born into this wealthy family, um, and he studied law, um, and he he passed the law examinations in 1888. So I did the math, and that would make him like 18, I guess. Um, and the following year, he began to work as a clerk in a law office in St. Quentin, in Paris, I believe. And then in 1889, he, he was recovering from appendicitis when his mother gave him paints to pass the time. He played around with it a little bit um, and liked it so much that he called it a form of paradise. Did you read something different? What's that? Did you read something different about that? Say it again. I wasn't listening. <laughs> <laughs> and that he... He started because he he had the appendicitis. Oh no, not no. That's what I heard. But then I also heard that he might have been bedridden because he was depressed too. Mm-hmm. So maybe they're just kind of tied. Together. They might have coincided together. But yeah, yeah, I heard that. So yeah. Anyway, so he wants to become a painter. So he, okay, so he falls in love with it, and he's like, you know what? This is just amazing. This has changed my life. He he goes to his dad. He's like, Dad, I'm going to become a painter. I know I just went to school to become a lawyer, but I'm going to become a painter. And his dad was kind of angry, and he threatened to 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 remove his stipend if he he became a wild painter. So he said, okay, you could be a painter as long as you stick with like conservative subject matter, 
and you're not too wild, I'll keep paying your rent for you. And so he was like, okay, I'll, I'll listen for a little bit. He attended the Academy of Julian, then attempted to get into the National School of Fine Arts, which was called School de Beaux Arts, um, but failed the ex- entrance exam. So his, his response to failing the exam was to stand outside and wait and just stop teachers as they're going in and just kind of show them drawings as he was uh, as they were going into class, which is kind of funny because I had a student do that at a first Thursday opening like a few months ago, at one of my openings. He came in with a bunch of drawings and showed them to my gallerist, and I was like, oh, oh, honey, like that's not a good idea. So you just don't do that in opening. But a school, I guess, you know, you hang out in front of the school, you know, it could lead to something good, right? I guess they're trying to think outside the box, which you got to yeah. give them that much. But Yeah, clearly passionate. There's- there's places for that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, stood outside and waited. And eventually he, he caught the eye of um, Gustav Moreau. And he was like this awesome teacher. He was like, he was a very liberal teacher who did not interfere with the individualist uh, individuality of his pupils. Um, he encouraged students to look at nature and to paint outdoors, as well as to frequently visit the museums. So he met this teacher. It was really cool. And he's like, why don't you just sit on my classes? And so he sat in the back row and, and kind of went along with the classes, even though he wasn't enrolled. He tried again the next year and failed again. He eventually succeeded in 1895. Um, so he went to school, the National School of Fine Arts. And then in 1897, um, he met painter, painter John Peter Russell, who was like a good friend of Van Gogh's. And Russell introduced him to Impressionism and to the work of Van Gogh. And this, this Impressionism kind of opened up a new world to Matisse. Although his artwork was Impressionist in character, um, these early works of Matisse already showed a noticeable emphasis on color and simplified forms. Um, he used the Divisionist technique. Have you heard of that, Ashley, the Divisionist technique? No. It's kind of like pointillism. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but it's, um, there's space in between the colors. So what it does is from a distance, you get some optical mixing. So yellow dot next to a blue dot from a distance, it looks green. So, um, hey, Prancer, you growling. <laughs> she doesn't like the divisionist style, I guess. What? She's not a fan of it. <laughs> it looks like she's looking at Christopher's t-shirt. Uh, Christopher has Bill Murray on his shirt, and I don't think Prancer likes that. Dude, Prancer, stop, stop. Yeah, stop. seriously. I don't like that smirk. <laughs> don't like that. The Bill Murray Bur- smirk. Murray. So what I gathered from all this research is that he's just kind of a sponge. He just, like, really goes out, tries to meet all these people, and he takes, like... He just takes a little bit from everybody and kind of like tries things out. He, he does a lot of copies. He kind of mimics in different styles. Um, he uh, is influenced by Pizarro and especially Paul Cezanne. Um, Matisse later said, in modern art, it is indubitably, I love that he said that, <laughs> indubitably cool to Cezanne that I owe the most. And you can kind of see it in these earlier works. He definitely looks like Cezanne's artwork. Um, Bright colors, but very much like they look blocky, almost kind of like carved out of wood. And and his, his subject matter is like the same as Cezanne's too. A lot of still lives, a lot of women and, and landscapes. What So would you say, I didn't read too much about it, but I think he liked to work with like a live person, right? Yeah. Not like so. by memory. Is that right? Right. Yeah. I think... And we'll talk about it a little later, but like that was one of the main differences I think between him and Picasso mm-hmm. is Picasso went by memory, mm-hmm. and then Matisse was more in like right there with the model kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, so. and I think that that kind of like reflected his upbringing, his like conservative upbringing. Remember how I said his dad was like, "Oh, I will pay your rent if you if you don't go too wild with your art." I think mm-hmm. that he was kind of just like holding back a little bit and he felt like he felt a little bit obliged to reference the natural world because of that. Whereas I think we, I think what you're saying is true. Like Picasso, he painted from life a lot, but I think he was also much more um, 
willing to go off of his memory and his imagination. More cubism than Matisse. Yeah, he felt the freedom to do that more than Matisse. I think Matisse, at first, at least, he felt like he needed to kind of restrain his subject a little bit. Um, But later on, he did kind of push the boundaries. Like he he, um, basically invented Fauvism. With oh, Andre is that Grimm. how you say it? Okay, I yeah. saw that word and I was like, "What the heck? How do you say that?" Yeah. So he got he got wild. He became wild. And that's and more with color. Yeah, and so then he his, was kind of the. I couldn't find it out, out, but I think his dad actually did stop like paying his. <laughs> rent. Like, oh, we can't He's have like, all that oh, bright that's color. Still crazy. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> you're crazy with that bright color. Right. Um, um, so I think you're right. There is like, there's all. I think. Um, yeah, we should talk about Picasso a little bit, but um, sorry, that went off on a tangent. No, but like no. you'll see that they're kind of compared often. Totally, it's on the, it's on the next page for sure. In 1894, he had um, he had a daughter with his model. His model gave birth. His model Caroline gave birth to their daughter Magritte. Um, and then and then four years later in, in 1898, um, Matisse married Amalie Parari. Amalie, I'll just say that. Like the movie, Amelie? Yeah. There you go. The two raised Marguerite together and had two sons, Jean and Pierre. Marguerite and Amelie often served as models for Matisse. So in this painting right here, um, this is called Madame Amelie Matisse, The Green Line. Um, it's, uh, he's really experimented with big, bold colors. It's this bright green line down her nose, pink on her cheeks, um, and... You could see in this one too. He's he's not only being influenced by Cezanne, but he's looking at a lot of Japanese artwork, just like Van Gogh did. And you could tell because he's like simplifying the shapes, like a woodblock print or something, right? Um, and then this one over here is uh, his the painting he did of his daughter Marguerite. Um, I don't have the date on that one, but um, again, really simplified shapes. I think that's why I like. His er- I mean, I like all of Matisse's work for different, like each series for different reasons, but his earlier work, I really love how like the simple, how, how he's simplifying the shapes, getting to the real like essence of something. So yeah, anyway, he lived in Paris, but spent summers in the south of France in Collier and Nice. That took me forever to find out. I was like, where did he live? I don't know why, but I read like, like three different bios and I couldn't figure where his home base was. And I figured out that he kind of split his time between Paris and those other two cities. And it is, it is in Collier. It is there where he hangs out with Andre Duran, who is a really cool painter. I, um, really amazing artist, um, and started the Fauves, which is French for wild beasts. Um, and his painting, uh, Joy de Vivre, this one right here, is why he was called the king of the Fauves. So it's like big, bright colors. He has this big landscape that's kind of a stage for all these nude figures kind of lounging around, just enjoying life, the joys of life. Um, So that's that's why he kind of became famous as as the king of Fauves. And then these two other paintings, the woman uh, with a hat... Um, is a painting of um, Amelie. Um, again, big, bright colors. Um, <clears throat> and that one was sold to Sarah Stein, who was Gertrude Stein's sister-in-law. And Gertrude Stein was, a, I think, an, and I'm going to get this wrong, but expat writer living in Paris, and she supported a lot of like avant-garde artists. And Gertrude Stein was kind of, she was... She liked Matisse's work, but it was really Sarah Stein who was, like, really into Matisse and so bought a lot of his work. Um, And then, um, and that's also how he met Picasso, but we'll talk about that later. Um, And then this one, Open Window, he painted in Nice, and I just love the colors in that. And I also love that there's he's creating, like, this interior space and this outside space. There's really kind of two two spaces in one, really beautiful um and speaking of beauty i saw this interview did i send that to you ashley the um the woman talking about beauty um oh okay 
I can't remember her name. I'll find it and put it on our site. But basically she was talking about Matisse and she was saying that a lot of people look at beautiful art and think that it's just a distraction and that people, um, they get wrapped up in beauty and they don't think about the, the bad things in life. They don't give the bad things the attention that they need to, right, to fix things. And that, that beauty is just um, detrimental because of that. Um, and, but she was saying that, in fact, it's actually, it's actually that Matisse cared so much about the world and about um, everything going on in the world that he felt it was important to make beautiful objects to remind people that there was still beauty in the world. So even during World War I and World War II, he, he was making these beautiful objects painting Nice, painting the south of France. And he, he saw it as an important thing to do. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. beauty is like, um, is important. Anyway, I'll share the video with you. She's an amazing speaker. Um, yeah, I, I got one in the videos. I don't think I got one in the, I, I don't think I got that one from you. <laughs> oh, about the woman in, with the hat, that painting that I was telling you about. Um, the artist's wife, I took this from one of the sites, um, says the artist's wife, Amelie, posed for this half-length portrait. She's depicted in an elaborate outfit with classic attributes of the French bourgeoisie, a glove, a gloved arm holding a fan and an elaborate hat perched atop her head. Her costume's vibrant hues are purely expressive, however, um, however, um, when asked about the hues of the dress Madame Matisse was actually wearing when she posed for the portrait, the artist allegedly replied, black, of course. <laughs> okay, can't you tell? 1908, he started a school. So, so I guess in 1905, he, he got a studio um, in a, this building called the Covent de Oso. I think it's a Covent of Birds. I think it was a bird. Yeah. He was a big fan of birds, wasn't he? Yeah. So it was called that. It was called yeah. the Covent of Birds um, in Paris. And it, this place was really cool. Um, it was a mansion when it was first built in the um, 16th century. And then it was a prison. And it held, it was such a fancy place that it held like wealthy people during the, the reign of terror. Um, and then after that, it was a boarding school for girls. And then after that, it was Matisse's studio. So it's this old building, big, beautiful building. And apparently in, um, a few years, few years later, Gertrude Stein and all, all the, all these people that, that he was hanging out with Picasso and all these people were like, yo, Matisse, let's start a school. You should start a school. And he's like, okay. And so he started teaching classes there and it was called the Matisse Academy. Oh, um, was that the hotel? But it was called a hotel. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I kind of read about that. Yeah, it was called all sorts of sorts of things. And then um and then a few years later it was demolished. <laughs> so oh. I was like, oh. Um I, th- I think I found a picture of it though. So it's like a really pretty picture. Yeah, I think I have a picture of it too. I think this might yeah, hotel right here. One of his pieces. Huh. Hotel Rijan. I think that was later. Because those were the cutouts. Okay, so, so he would live in another hotel. <laughs> yeah, he liked to live large. Well, and then the school, he didn't charge people either. Hmm. So I think he must have been, like, independently wealthy. Yeah. I know he was doing really well with his art, too, but hmm. it seems like a big, I don't know. It's all kind of mysterious. He's a little mysterious. He's you know, very mysterious. Like, he's pretty private. You don't know much about him. Like, people, from what I read, like and watch videos of they had a general idea of him, but not really. Like mm-hmm. he's, yeah, I, yeah. I, I got that sense too. I read a lot. I read, you know, a few different websites. I've watched like four different videos and I did, I remember one, one of them said that he looked more like a politician than a painter. Like he was really mm-hmm. conservative and probably that. quiet. Um, but he was really, I also read that he's really, really friendly and outgoing. And that's why the, the, the teaching came naturally to him. So it was around that time that he, he painted one of my favorite paintings. And I don't really know much about this. I guess he painted it in Nice because um, apparently this is Nice in the background. But it's called um, The Dessert, Harmony in Red. So it's basically all red background. Um, there's a woman setting a table. And then there's a window on the upper left with a picture of a garden outside. And the patterns on the, the table are kind of climbing up and off the table onto the wall. And so 
I guess the reason I love it is because it's really bold color, bright red, bright green. Um, I love that it's both representational but abstract too. Like he's letting it, he's letting the surface just be a pattern. And I just, I think it's really lovely. He's, he's kind of doing all those things at once. Not to mention that it was bright red. Yeah. Which is not what you would see as a background color. No. In that time. No. Yeah. It's definitely like in, influenced by his travels, I think. Throughout his career, he traveled, he did travel all over. He wove influences from different cultures into his paintings. He went to Spain, Germany, Russia, and Africa. And in 1911, he went to Morocco. And so the Moroccan culture really definitely influenced him, like um, patterns. Mm -hmm. um, I can see that. I guess the dance was kind of influenced by his trip there. And then later in his life when he did his um, the odalesques, which you'll probably talk about, right? Um, mm -mm. Or I could talk about it. But the odalesques, he painted those while he was in France, but they were um, influenced by his memory of Morocco. I just I think he really loved like the sense of pattern and color in Morocco and the, the, the kind of love of life that he encountered there. In 1917, him and his lovely family straight up moved to Nice. So no longer just spending the summers there. They're like, we're moving to Nice. Let's get out of Paris. We're doing this. And so his wife was acting as his personal manager. And then in 1932, did you, did you research the Lydia? I was his assistant, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, because he got a divorce, like, 42 years into the marriage mm -hmm. and ended up with his assistant, right? Yeah, so from what I could read, well, so I got it really into it because I was like, this Lydia woman is really fascinating. Apparently, she was, like, orphaned at, at age seven. She was from Russia. She was orphaned at seven, and she, she kind of, like, roughed it out on the streets of Nice for, like, 10, 15 years. And then she met Matisse's family and became kind of a servant, but then also an assist studio assistant. Mm -hmm. um, and then she kind of lived there with them for a few years before she became a model for him. So, and she she said that she didn't want to model because she she knew like how artists treat models. But then she got to know Matisse, and he was like quite a really sweet person, a, a gentleman. And that she finally, after a few years, she was like, they just had a relationship that they that felt comfortable for her to become a model for him. Mm -hmm. So, um, and from what I can tell, it's like, I don't think they were having an affair. I think they just understood each other really well, maybe. That's kind of what I got. He was quite a bit older than her. And mm -hmm. it, towards the end of his life, it almost became like she was a caregiver, really loved him and wanted to take care of him and be his help him with his art kind of thing but yeah apparently okay so i read so i gotta find out if this is true but amelie asked matisse to choose between them oh yeah i read that he said pick pick me or pick her and he picked his wife and um so agonized lydia attempted suicide by shooting herself in the chest but she she fortunately survived yeah i did read that and then amelie divorced matisse like Five or six years later. No, wait, not that long. Four years later, in, ending their 41-year-old marriage. So she attempted suicide, and then she survived. And Amelie divorced, divorced Matisse in 1939, ending their 41-year-old marriage. Lydia returned to Matisse and worked for him for the rest of his life, acting as manager and taking care of his household. In his closing decade, in the face of exhaustion and failing health, Lydia um, made it possible for him to produce his final masterpieces, the chapel and uh, his colored paper cutouts, now generally agreed to be among the greatest inventions of the 21st or 20th century. Um, the ones I love that he painted of her are the pink noon. Mm -hmm. Do you, did you see that one? It's like blue yeah. and bright pink. I love that painting. That one, I, th I feel like you could see that a lot. Like, it's recognizable. Yeah. Well, and it's, like, everywhere, but I think it's also influenced so many artists since right. then, too. Uh -huh. um, and then um, in 1937, he painted Purple Robe and an Enemy... An enemy... Enemies? <laughs> and enemies. Enemas? And enemies. There you go. Purple Robe and Enemas. <sighs> and enemies. I'll say it. And enemies. There you go. Which I also love. 
like the robe is really beautiful purple. Mm -hmm. So I don't know anything about the end of his life. Yes, okay, so you, you towards the end there you mentioned cutouts. He was diagnosed with abdominal cancer in 1941 and he underwent a surgery that left him like chair and bed bound. Um, so painting and sculpture became like physically challenging for him. So he turned to a new medium, which was cutting out a paper. And he, if you watch videos, he used like big ass scissors. Like they weren't like little tiny ones that you could get detailed with. It was like pretty big scissors and he just, you know, cut out shapes and it was kind of like a new way of almost painting with paper, I think it was coined, cool. but um, uh, he would cut uh, sheets of paper pre-painted with gouache by his assistants um, into shapes varying colors and sizes and arrange them to form lively compositions. Initially, these pieces were modest in size, but they um, transformed into murals in room size. Cool. So um, I was watching a video about, they like the MoMA showed some of these pieces of his collage cutout type work. And if you looked really close, you could see little tiny holes and pin points. Mm -hmm. And that was like his assistants would pin them up on the walls and like rearrange them to um to his liking so that kind of was the technique could pin them up and like move them around and it was really interesting that's cool because you could try out different compositions really yeah. quickly much quicker than painting right yeah so all this although that he did that mostly towards the end of his life it was recorded um that he used this technique in 1919 for like it says here, and then he did it again in 1937 and 38 in other works of his, but it wasn't the sole um, cutting out medium. It wasn't until like, later on when he was, um, he moved to the hilltop of uh, Vince, or... Oh, yeah. Yeah, in 1943, where he produced his first major cutout project for his artist book called Jazz. So he made a book um, of all his cutouts, um, and it was not in, there wasn't very many of them printed, and it was just, it was called jazz uh, because he, something along the lines of like, like music and art kind of go well together, and um, I think it was going to be called like the circus or something because the pictures in it are like acrobatic uh, people and like doing all that kind of like circus like pictures and stuff like that but um it was basically a book of like just like writings by him but also with artwork did i tell you that uh, i saw his cutout show at moma a few years back oh nice i think it was in 2015 maybe i took some students to new york oh yeah okay i remember that yeah, yeah. we saw it it was a really great show yeah yeah so they're massive. They're, they are. Some of them are really, really big. Yeah, if you go online, you can see his living space with, like, just the walls covered and then, like, a space for the door and windows, but just covered in these figures. And a lot of it looks like his painting, but it was all paper cut out yeah. and then put up by his assistants. So there was, there's an interesting quote by him, and it was, um, after summarizing his career, Matisse refers to the possibility the cutout technique offers, insisting, an artist must never be a prisoner of himself, prisoner of style, prisoner of reputation, and prisoner of success. I feel like that sums him up really well, because he did sculpture, he did painting, and then to end it with um, paper cutting and everything like that, he never was confined to one type of style or artwork or medium. He kind of liked to try it all and wasn't like stuck on one type. Um, yeah, so to go more, to pick a specific piece, I picked the swimming pool and it was a piece of, so hearing stories about him, he like went to go see divers and swimmers and he came back to his place and wanted to recreate that in a way. So uh -huh. he, um, it, it basically is, and they put this up at the MoMA. It's just wrapped around his room where uh, these figures in blue on kind of like a cream burlap 
uh, background of just like figures diving and looks kind of like water and pools and uh, waves and different shapes. Really beautiful. Um, they talk about it online about uh, it was probably like originally in his places like a lifted above his head about the height, but it wrapped around the whole room. And so they had a showing of it at the MoMA, um, but they did have to, because of um, their first goal was to re replace the burlap to return to its original color balance of with white paper because it was acidic, like what he used. So, oh, it, so was, it changed color. Yeah, so it wasn't holding up well. So the MoMA, I believe, like re furbished it kind of thing mm -hmm. um did they hang it up as high as I, in his studio i think so i think that they were probably trying to like replicate it as much as they could um i like that because it almost because being up that high makes you feel like you're in the water yeah and i think that's what he was going for because like yeah looking at the pictures here um like if you type in the swimming pool um MoMA, you could see them working on it to refurbish it, and then how they hung it is very similar to, like, where it was at in his studio. Um, but it was kind of fragile, because I think I watched in the video that he used, like, rubber cement and stuff like mm -hmm. that, and that doesn't hold up very well. Like, it, it kind of doesn't, it kind of is acidic and eats through things and doesn't, it's hard to preserve that. Or yeah. he didn't use mediums that would be that would preserve very well so yeah that was the swimming pool it was up at the MoMA um you could kind of look that up and see the colors which are really beautiful and then so the the book jazz going back to that um it included 20 color prints each about 16 by 26 inches and, oh, here we go. So there was handwritten notes expressing his thoughts throughout the process of each piece. Um, the reason that it was going to be called The Circus, the title originally suggested for the book because uh, it provided inspiration for the majority of the motifs concerning performing artists and balancing acts. Oh, so see. that's what I was trying to explain earlier is like there's in, in the book, there's like um, figures, dancing and movement kind of. Mm -hmm. So that was the jazz book, and it was uh, first issued on September 30th, 1947, in limited quantities. But it was highly received. Like, people thought it was really good. Um, I was going to look it up to see if you could buy, like, a replica of it. I'm oh, sure yeah. you probably could. I love that image that you that you have from that book, because it's, like, it's still cutouts, but they're definitely different than the... the the divers, right? Like the divers, there's an airiness to it. Mm -hmm. The figure ground relationship is kind of complicated. Whereas I feel like the jazz is just, it's more, it's a different kind of complex, right? It's small. Yeah. And I could see, I don't know if he was like super pleased with the book because you couldn't see like the detail of the cutout book of the cutouts that you would see in person. Right. Cause when it's reprinted, you don't see like the, the 3d ness of it and the, all that, but mm -hmm. it it was highly received and it was uh it was, it's a neat book and I like to look it up more. But uh, one of the pieces in that book is um, a piece entitled Icarus, and it's a Greek myth. Uh, it's a so basically the myth is of this young guy Icarus who is determined to raise to the skies and fulfill his dream of. Uh, flying, um, he just wanted to fly. He wanted to be as high up as he could be. <laughs> so he constructed some wings, and they were out of wax. He built them out of wax. And he was just, like, so dead set on flying. And his father warned him, you know, again and again, again, and again not to uh, fly so close to the sun, you know. But he discarded that warning, and one day he had straight up right towards the bright light of the sun and melted uh, his his wings and then, like, fell to his death. So the the cutout that um, Matisse did is of Icarus falling, but it's also very beautiful because there's stars in the background. There's, there's a heart, a red heart, um, 
painted um, with deep blue skies in the background. And though it's tragic and then inevitable death, um, it also conveys like hopes and ambition. So it's a very simple cutout, but it also is very beautiful, but also tragic. So it mm-hmm. kind of like covers all those grounds. Um, so yeah, I mean, so basically the cutout technique was called painting with scissors is what it was coined. And it was basically because he was kind of bedridden into a chair and everything. So that's what he kind of ended, he ended up doing the rest of his life. So the fall of Icarus, the painting with scissors I just uh, described, is all, I was, um, I noticed it's on um, the front cover of a book that I have in my Audible uh, called The Body Keeps Score. And it's about childhood trauma. <laughs> I'm like, I'm really into like psychology books and everything like that. But I was like, that painting on the cover of that book looks so familiar. And it's Icarus. Hmm. So um, the story that, of Icarus is, has like a moral, right? I mean, what's, what is the common, because I could think of a few different morals coming out of that story, right? Like, don't shoot for your dreams because you're going to die. Or try your hardest and and you may die trying kind of I mean it's inter- interesting I, I don't I, yeah um you could probably take a lot of different directions in that one because it's like you want to shoot for your dreams but don't be so blindsided by yeah, yeah. I mean I would have to look up the di- different interpretations of it don't be blindsided by the goal to not notice the journey, right? Or things along the way, maybe? Uh, yeah. Yeah, take your time, do the homework, know what you're doing, listen to people <laughs> that might know what they're talking about, kind of like maybe throw all of those into mm-hmm. that lesson learned. But yeah, so Icarus, beautiful. Um, and you noticed it at, in pop culture. So it's being Yeah, used. well, that book, so it's a psychology book about just childhood trauma and all that. Um, I haven't read too much into it, but it's just, it's on the cover of it. And before I started looking at Matisse, I just didn't really think second about it until Mm -hmm. I started learning about Matisse. I'm like, oh, wait, it's on that cover. But that brings me to the point, like, I so before this, I hadn't learned much about Matisse. You know, you hear a lot about Picasso, but I realized after learning about Matisse a little bit, you start to see his stuff, like, everywhere yeah and it's crazy because so on that book cover of course but um also you know I was watching videos and they used his artworks in like Olympic games Mm -hmm. so a lot of the Olympic games um artwork during one of the games I don't remember what year his artwork was shown you could buy scarves um reprints on art.com like you could buy so many things of his that you wouldn't even know were his things. Like, I don't feel like he's as, um, people don't know his name like they do Picasso, but I feel like his stuff is almost more present. Well, yeah. I mean, I was, I read that too. And I was thinking about, um, our artist last week, Cristo, right? He said that Cristo wouldn't take commissions, but I think Matisse did a lot. Yeah, I think he did. And there, in one of the videos, there was a, a rich person that bought a ton of his pieces Mm -hmm. and like Matisse commissioned a lot of things for that particular guy that had a lot of money that just wanted to buy his stuff. I think that was during the war or something. Um, so a lot of those prints weren't even seen because this guy just collected them. Yeah. Um, yeah. But another thing in pop culture, which I thought was really cute. Um, and it was in one of the videos, uh, there's a character called Missy. And to me, it looks a lot like Hello Kitty. Oh, yeah. It's a bunny, and it looks a lot like Hello Kitty, but it's actually a Dutch rabbit from the 1950s. And this artist made stories with this bunny for his kid. But if you saw the bunny, you'd be like, oh, I totally know who that is. But in one of his kid books, it's so cute. He has, um, on one of the pages, it's La La Gerbe. It's one of Matisse's work with, it's one of his famous pieces with like leaves that look like kind of like on the front cover of the book, Matisse, there's leaves oh, yeah, mm-hmm. and it almost looks like coral uh-huh. leaves, 
But in the little the, the little kid book, Miffy, it's like little rabbits, but it's formed like Matisse. So it's like Aww. definitely influences a lot of people. Yeah. Give a nod to him. Yeah. So a nod to him, but like really, I would say he's probably one of the most important artists when it comes to color. Because like when you look at his stuff, it holds up. Yeah. It looks so modern. Yeah. It's so, timeless because of that. Basically, yeah. Um, I was going to say about his relationship with Picasso is that their personalities were apparently yeah, I was just gonna, remarkably different. Yeah. Um, they were frenemies, so we were going to yeah. point that out. They were friends, but definitely, like, they traded art together, They, but they also, like, took from each other kind of uh-huh. ideas. And there's a video online of the the curators of their show at the MoMA. So MoMA did like a two-week show. It was really short where they put Matisse and Picasso's work right next to each other. And it was interesting because they said, oh, I went in as a big Picasso fan and really came out just like such a fan of Matisse and then vice versa kind of thing. But they were both very different. Yeah. They're from different, I mean, Picasso from Spain and... Uh, Matisse from France. Right. That was a major difference, but also by language-wise, they, they you had a hard time always knowing what they were saying. So they had different styles because of culturally, but also one was a lot older. Picasso yeah. was a lot more um, out there, where Matisse, I think, was a little more private. Yeah. So that's kind of what I got. The comparison of the two, I think Matisse was more the father of color, and then Picasso was more in the Cubist kind of movement. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's what I got from it. Yeah, um, I mean, so so yeah, so Matisse said that they were as different as the North Pole and the South Pole, um, but and I think I think a personality, like you said, yeah, like. I have this feeling that Picasso is really gregarious. I heard I heard a story once that Picasso went into a cafe, and instead of tipping the waitress, he was like, "Here, you drew, drew a little sketch," and he's like, "Here, send your kid to school." <laughs> so, so he's like yeah. really pompous. Well, there but- was another story of him where a lady's like, "Oh, can I have a, some of your work?" And he's, he drew something really quick on the napkin. Similar story. And he's like, "That'll be four thousand dollars." She's yeah. like, "Well, I you just scribbled it." It's like yeah. yeah. So so, so Picasso's yeah, yeah, yeah. character was big and Matisse I think was a little bit quieter but but they were still really good friends and because they were rival rivals I think that that helped both of their art, right? They egged each other on mm-hmm. and they frenemies. pushed each other. I have a story about it. The original frenemies. <laughs> frenemies. Um I have a story that I read. Do you want me to read it? <laughs> I'm going to read it anyway. Yes, do um, it. Sorry. <laughs> so uh, Matisse created artworks in several mediums, including printmaking and sculpture. He was working on a sculpture when it shattered accidentally, and the broken pieces inspired him to create one of the most controversial works of, of his career, the Blue Nude. So when the nude was um, displayed in 1907, it was, like, shocking everybody. The French public was like, no, this is just outlandish. The painting later created an international sensation and its effigy. Good night. Good night, sweetheart. Good night, Prancer. Good night to Prancer. Good night, Ollie. So when the the blue nude was first displayed in 1907, it was shocked the French public. The, the painting later created an international sensation when its effigy was burned in the 1913 um, armory show in Chicago. So, like, people were like, this nude is, is you know, a, is uh, bringing us back to these, like, Neanderthal men. We're going to burn this picture of it. Because basically, like, they didn't understand that he was trying to empower the female figure rather than he, he they thought that he was just... Um, using the female figure. Anyway, um, the blue, blue Nude is now considered a pivotal work of Matisse's career, um, and it later inspired Picasso's um, renowned masterpiece, Les Demoiselles d'Avignon. Did you know that? 
So Picasso's famous painting was really inspired by Matisse's artwork. That's not the only time he did that. What I was going to tell you is, um, so Henry Matisse had a great love of birds. Once, while walking around the banks of the river Seine, he he bought five or six birds from a merchant. He delighted in their shapes and colors, plumage and singing. Nearing the end of his life, Matisse gave Picasso, who was also loved birds, uh, the last of his fancy pigeons. As Picasso's painting was hailed as one of the world's most moving anti-war paintings, he was invited to design an image to represent peace. Picasso drew a picture of Matisse's pigeon, and thus the famous poster, Dove of Peace, was created. It was chosen as the emblem for the first International Peace Conference in 1949. So it's funny because, like, Matisse did this painting. Picasso copied it. And then, like, it became, like, yeah, yeah, it just, like, they went back and forth, and that was kind of, like, them in a nutshell. Yeah. they really worked off of each other, stole mm-hmm. from each other. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. So, kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, so that's your. So is that our homework for this week? To to uh, no get a fr- get a friend of me. Get a friend of me. Fine. Everyone a needs a good friend of me. <laughs> I hate that. I know so, so much. I. It's horrible, <laughs> but it, it it summarizes them so well. Right. <laughs> So how uh, so how this last years of life what do you want to say about that? Well, there's a quote here. I don't know where it is, but there's a really simple quote Take by your time. by him. Let me find it. It was like create uh, creativity takes courage. That was the quote. Something like that. I don't know if that's the exact quote, but you'll find it. There it is. Okay, creativity takes courage. I think that is a good way to end this. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That pretty much sums them up. So the homework: go out and try a couple different art media's. Yeah, and be curious, and and find a frenemy, and <laughs> be creative. That frenemy is gonna really move you to push you to do all kinds of art and. They're going to have to keep up with you is what it's going to be. Totally.